The following podcast, part of our true crime series, Missing Pieces, explores the case against Catherine Hoggle, a young Maryland mother indicted by a grand jury on two counts of murder in the 2014 disappearance of her two children, Sarah and Jacob. Catherine is currently being held in a psychiatric hospital found to be incompetent to stand trial. Her next court hearing in Montgomery County, Maryland, is scheduled for the fall of 2018. She needed caffeine, but really just wanted to get away. This is Bob Barnard with Fox 5 News in Washington, D.C. Part one of this podcast ended with Catherine Hoggle, a then 27-year-old unmarried mother of three, a former student at Quince Orchard High School in Gaithersburg, Maryland, just north of Washington, D.C., disappearing from a Chick-fil-A restaurant at the end of a long and trying afternoon. She'd gone to the fast food restaurant to get a soda to help wake her up. The medication Catherine Hoggle was taking for mental health reasons made her tired. Catherine had taken the father of her three young children on a wild goose chase through the streets of Montgomery County, Maryland that Monday afternoon, not able to tell Troy Turner where their two youngest children were. Catherine was the last person known to have seen Jacob and Sarah Hoggle before they vanished without a trace in September of 2014. She then disappeared about 24 hours later. It's a case that has upset and frustrated the children's father and just about everybody else who's heard about this story in the years since the children's disappearance. In part two of this podcast, we bring you the search for Sarah and Jacob and for the truth. And at least for the first four days of this terrible mystery, for their missing mother. Here's Montgomery County Police Captain Darren Frank, head of the department's Major Crimes Division. What was the first thing you got? And sure, the, the, the first thing we got, we got the, we got the call from Troy that uh, his two children, Jacob and Sarah, were missing, along with now his wife. And, and he said that, you know, they were going to the police station and then uh, they, they made a stop and, and, and uh, Catherine essentially fled from uh, where they had stopped. They had stopped at Chick-fil-A to get something to eat. Um, on their way to the police on department the way to, the police, to police report station, their two kids missing. Correct, because, you know, Catherine had given uh, multiple accounts between to the grand, uh, grandparents and to Troy about where the kids were, and Troy had felt, okay, enough is enough. We're going to the police station. Darren Frank has been with the Montgomery County Police Department for 22 years, rising through the ranks. He's got a shaven head, a youthful face, a pleasant smile, Though you know he's seen and investigated some of the most horrible crimes imaginable over the years, there is a lightness about him that makes him quite likable. We spoke to Captain Frank at his office on the third floor of the Montgomery County Police Headquarters in Gaithersburg. Patrol officers responded and our Special Victims Investigative Division, who handles uh, missing juveniles uh, and domestic uh, events, uh, responded initially too. Remember, Sarah and Jacob Hoggle, then three and two years old, disappeared under mysterious circumstances while in the care of their mother, Catherine. She's been diagnosed with severe mental illness. First Jacob, then Sarah, went missing between Sunday, September 7th, and Monday, September 8th, 2014. Jacob was last seen at Catherine's parents' house in Gaithersburg, that's about 20 miles north of Washington, D.C., in the Maryland suburbs. 
Little Sarah was last seen at her father's apartment in Clarksburg, Maryland. That's about nine miles north of the grandparents' house. Catherine disappeared from that Chick-fil-A in nearby Germantown while supposedly taking the children's father to the daycare center where she told Troy she had dropped the kids off that morning. We did a number of things, bloodhound, canine, um, trying to track down where she went because what we knew is the kids weren't with her and the kids hadn't been with her for, at, for uh, by that time for at least 12 hours. Um, and So find her, you might find the kids. Correct. Um, and then as, as we progressed through that night and into the next day, uh, uh, my boss, Assistant Chief Hamill, gave us a call. We had been monitoring the case, um, but uh, he called me and, and, and I got with uh, my counterpart in, uh, in SVID, uh, Captain Humphreys, and, and we talked about it. And we made the decision there based on everything we knew at that point that it was time for major crimes to take over the case. Um, with, with a higher probability than we wanted that the kids were going to be dead. Because all, everything that, that the original detectives had gathered so far was not looking good at all. Catherine spent four days and nights on the run, but didn't go far. It's believed she was hiding out in that same part of Germantown the whole time. And then eventually we catch up, catch up with her on a Friday night. Um, uh, a citizen calls in, recognizes her from the... Uh, from the uh, uh, media and the posters that have been out looking for her uh, and, and we're able to bring her into custody and, and bring her back here to headquarters. Remind us, what has she said about what's happened to them over the, you know, the, the last three years or at least initially before she got a lawyer and was charged? Right. What was she telling you? We just mainly have the initial. I mean, she said she left them with someone. She gave us a name. Um, then, uh, uh, when we started asking for details and, uh, and you know, she's uh, give us a phone number, give us anything. She got vaguer and vaguer. And then during the course of the interview, it changed to, I dropped the kids off in this park. Um, so it, it, it went from those two, uh, from those two extremes and, and, uh, the, uh, it never really got much further than that. Captain Frank says Catherine asked to take police investigators on a field trip, supposedly to show them where they could find Sarah and Jacob, not at any daycare center, but in a park near her parents' house. She was trying to guide us to a park where she said she left them in this park. Um, and her story changed during the course of her interview, and, and she left them in this, in this park. And, and, I mean, really... Uh, as we were going through it, um, and, and certainly in hindsight, we just think she was looking for an opportunity to, uh, an opportunity to try and escape. Um, but, uh, you know, we did it. It, it, it was worth, it was our, worth our investment of time. We, we, we didn't, we knew she wasn't going to get away. Um, but, um, it really turned out to be nothing. Once, once she realized that we had, I think once she realized that we had all the exits covered, um, that she wasn't going to be able to uh, uh, get somewhere, she called an end to it. So, you think she was really taking you out there so she could find a way to get away? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't think she was taking us to where she left the kids. But Captain Frank says Catherine didn't appear to be delusional, not to him or other detectives that day. She's not the person you see in 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 the uh, court proceedings. 
mean, what do you mean she by that? Was, she was as, as lucid as you and I are right now uh, when we were talking to her. I mean, there was, um, uh, again, I can't speak to her uh, mental competency, but if you've seen her in court as of late, she looks, uh, uh, I guess, drugged would be. Uh, uh, expressionless and yeah, all. Yeah, expressionless. But we had a conversation just like you and I are, are having a conversation. I talked with her, the detectives talked with her, Troy talked with her, her dad talked with her, everyone talked with her, and, and, and she responded back and was very lucid. What was the best she told you about what happened to Sarah and Jacob, or the most credible, in your opinion? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know as if she told us anything uh, remotely near the near the truth. I mean, I suppose if we find remains in a near a park or around a park, then 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 that'll end up uh, being true. Um, but um, you know, uh, I think the uh, uh, I don't think she told us. There's nothing I could be a judge on as to as to what was truthful for. I, again, I do think her attorneys know. Um, and, and uh, uh, which is, you know, for them to deal with the state's attorney's office and hopefully get to some resolution here. Her attorney of record is David Felson, a Rockville, Maryland-based criminal defense attorney. Do you know what happens to the, what I, happened to the I, kids? Well, first of all, I, I will never answer that question. I wasn't there. I don't personally know. And She's I, never told you? Here's where the kids are, would, here's what happened? In any case, I would never answer the question as to what any client told me. And this case is no different. But if you knew where the kids were, would you not have, and they were alive, maybe and well, and she said, hey, David, you know, I left them with this exact friend in this exact state, and they're there. Would you have any compulsion to go pursue that for I the will. sake of the children, or, or, or is your interest her defense and that's kind of where it stands. I will tell you that there are ethical obligations that apply to attorneys in a variety of circumstances. Uh, my office has been, uh, I don't, uh, adherent is not even a sufficient word to those ethical standards. Um, we, we have responsibilities to Catherine. We also have responsibilities uh, to the profession. We have adhered to all of those responsibilities. David Felson is in his early 50s, has been a criminal defense attorney in the D.C. area for many years. There's a plaque on the wall in his conference room where we interviewed him. It's from the American Trial Lawyers Association, certifying that Felson is among the top 100 trial lawyers in the country. He actually seems embarrassed by it when I congratulate him. Felson is quite likable. He's one of those workhorse lawyers who's defended some questionable characters over the years. He's well known around the courthouse in Rockville. That's the county seat in Montgomery County. Of course, we can't ask Catherine what she did with her children. The closest thing we have is her attorney. People have a variety of theories. Um, there, are, there are things that the police claim Catherine told them. Uh, Lindsay's, uh, Lindsay Hoggle, Catherine's mother, believes that, that she that Catherine had given the children to somebody else. Um, there, there are a variety of theories out there as to what may or may not have happened. Um, where we stand now is that we have to deal with the legal proceeding. This is the legal proceeding. Tell me, David, how did you first come 
into this case? Did the family reach out to you? Were you assigned the case? How, how did your involvement begin? No, we were originally contacted by um, the Hoggle family. Uh, my office had a previous relationship with them on other matters, not, uh, and we were contacted on uh, the day that Catherine was detained. Montgomery County Police would question Catherine Hoggle for 14 to 16 hours that day, including during that field trip to the park. When they were done, Captain Frank says detectives allowed Mr. Felson and another lawyer to visit with Catherine there at police headquarters. I don't know what they discussed. They were in there for a long time. And uh, we've all been in this, the, the detectives that were there, we've been in this business a while. We know the looks on their face when they came out of the room. Um, my, my, we believe they likely uh, no more. We like, we believe that Catherine shared with them something substantial. First of all, no, I have no personal knowledge. I wasn't there. Secondly, I'm not going to talk about anything that anybody would have told me or not told me. I don't have any firsthand knowledge of where the children are. Captain Frank says he can only imagine the conversation Catherine Hoggle had with her attorneys in the police interrogation room that day. Didn't record it. Can't, uh, can't speak to uh, whatever she told them, but they were in there for a while. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's, I guess. And when they left, did they say anything to you, or it was just the expression on their face you say that you noticed? No, just the affirmation to uh, uh, Mr. McCarthy. Montgomery County State's Attorney John McCarthy, the chief prosecutor. This indeed was not a case where the kids are, are, are still in harm's way and on, there's an ongoing crime. Um, and that was a unequivocal, without a doubt, the kids were no longer in harm and there was no ongoing crime. So she must have told them well, they're I, dead. That's the only way I can suspect you would get to that, uh, that uh, conclusion. One of the things that Darren Frank told us was that they had been talking to her and then you guys went in and they turned off the camera and you guys were in there for a while. And at that point, they didn't know what happened with the kids, but it seemed to him, when you guys were done, it's not like you came out running and said, look, I know we have attorney-client privileges here, but we know where the kids are and you should go get them. He got the sense right off the bat that when you left that interview room, this was gonna be a murder case, that you guys did not have information that could help the police find the children alive. I can't speak to what the detective thought um, my understanding is that they interviewed her for, I think, 14 or 16 hours. Um, and they didn't allow any attorney. Uh, again, it wasn't improper, but no attorney came to visit Catherine until they were done. Um, and then we did speak with her. What the detective took from that, I don't know, but what I can tell you is, for three years, uh, the only charges against Catherine were those related to what she told the police in terms of the obstruction of justice, uh, the allegations of neglect, and I, I'm, I'm just not remembering the, th uh, the third charge right now, but it related to her not telling the police where the kids were. Nothing about a murder? Not for not three years. Right. And there was a legal reason, I guess, for that. Fine. Or, or a strategic reason. Sure. I understand that. Are you confident that the kids are dead? Or where do you guys stand in terms of, like, whether you need to push hard on your client to find out where these kids are if they're alive and in danger? Or 
was it pretty clear to you guys right away that there's nothing we gleaned from her that the police didn't that we need to share with the police to find the children? Well, again, I can't talk about anything that Catherine may have told us. Okay? What you can, what I can say about the issue is if it were clear that the children were dead and if it were clear that Catherine was somehow involved in that, in, in the children's demise, why did we sit three years with these other charges and no murder charges? Again, prosecutors say that was done for strategic reasons that we'll explore in a later episode of this podcast. In the meantime, out in the community, during those first few days after Sarah and Jacob disappeared, the missing children's father was helping to lead any number of search parties. Uh, three-year-old and the mother are missing. If you see him, could you call the police for him? Thanks a lot, bro. I'm just here to help support because they're babies. They need to be found. Message for my children would be if you're seeing it, daddy's coming to get you and we're going to bring you home. And if someone's watching it with them who's taking care of them, just turn them over, take them to a hospital, take them to a library. I don't care, you know, I don't, I don't care to know who you are if you don't want me to. We spoke to Troy Turner for this podcast and asked him about those difficult and distressing first days. Well, in the first two to three months, uh, I spent over $40,000 on flyers alone. Uh, we, I guarantee you, without exaggerating numbers, there's been a million flyers passed out for my kids. It's very rough. Um, we believe, we have to keep believing, they're alive and they're well. Troy's mother, Debbie Beckward, was also there out in the community helping to lead the effort to find her grandchildren. Just leave them somewhere so we can pick them up and bring them home. There's a mental illness involved and, and um, there's okay. always hope. This is Catherine Hoggle's mother, Lindsay, at the time of those initial searches, speaking of her daughter and missing grandkids. Um, it is frustrating, but um, we have to um, keep the search on, keep their pictures out there. That's the most important thing to us. And so that's our only focus right there now in terms of finding the, the babies. And yet, despite days and weeks of exhaustive searches by family, friends, police, and the community, Jacob and Sarah would not be found. Here's more from our reporting back in 2014. Have you heard about the missing kids from Clarksburg? Turner and a group of close friends continue to wallpaper the area with flyers and go door to door looking for leads on the chance the kids are with someone who hasn't come forward. They may have changed their hair and clothes so because she had cut her hair so we're just asking people to keep an eye out and then please call a tip line if you you know hear or see anything. We're looking for Sarah and Jacob. If you find them, if you see anything, back away immediately and call 911. That was police captain Darren Frank back in 2014. Despite exhaustive searches of sheds and backyards, parks and wooded areas, any place and every place investigators thought Catherine might have visited with her children at the time of their disappearance, Sarah and Jacob could not be found. That frustrating fact clearly troubles Captain Frank today. You have no idea where they are? No. No. Um, we've, we've searched over, my gosh, we've searched over, I think it was 80,000 acres to include... Uh, to include uh, residential and, 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 and woods. And, uh, we, you know, we followed her uh, uh, phone tracks. Um, apologize. The uh, time, is, time is precious. That's the wall clock in his office chiming in. 
between residential areas, uh, wooded areas, we followed uh, phone uh, followed her her phone records as best we could. Um, searched around her place. Uh, you know, we took her on her we took her on her field trip when she wanted to get out of uh, get out of our interrogation room to take her to show us places. So um, we've covered a lot of we've covered a lot of area. And you know, one of the important things to remember, though, with these searches when we do them is there's generally about an 80% probability that you'll find that you'll find what you're looking for. It's a heck of a lot. Uh, 20% yeah. uh, is still outstanding that, that we could have tripped right over um, uh, where the kids were uh, secreted or there's a well somewhere or there's any number of things. You just didn't find or didn't see. Right, right. So, I mean, that still could be the case. I mean, we could still get a call. In fact, every time we get a call for uh, bones, uh, up in the Germantown area, um, you know, the, the guys get a little bit wound up, you know, could, could this be it? And so far it's not? No. Any of those calls no. have not? No. Because this case involves two kids who are missing, and there are a lot of parents out there, I'm a parent, you're a parent, a lot of people listening are parents. I'm back now with Catherine's attorney, David Felson. What do you say to them who are like, oh my God, this is torturous to that family, and based on the beliefs that people have, misguided or not, they believe the one person who could shed light on what's happened to Sarah and Jacob is Catherine, their mom, who was the one last supposedly seen with them. What do you say to those people who are like, oh my God, you're a parent too, that's torturous. Well, we, we have expressed on numerous occasions, and I will express it again, uh, we have sympathy uh, for the family members. We understand how difficult this is. But the assumptions in the latter part of your question don't really make a whole lot of sense, at least as, as we understand the circumstances of this case. Catherine was, even, even three years ago, three and a half years ago, she was in the throes of some real, profound, deep, uh, earth-shattering mental health issues. To think that she, at this stage, to think that she would necessarily know, number one, remember, number two, know, number three, be able to accurately relay any particular detail, I think is really putting the cart before the horse. We don't... I'm not sure what you mean. Why, why would one think that someone who is paranoid, suffering from profound schizophrenia, um, has perceptual perception issues, um, has at some point hallucinations. Why would somebody think that the relaying of information from that person, and I'm not talking about Catherine, I'm talking about any person, from the, would necessarily be accurate? It would be something. It might, it might be something. You should also remember that Catherine spoke to the police for, and I apologize for not remembering, 14 or 16 hours, at least according to the police. And told different stories. I took, they believe that when she took them to a park or before that to a McDonald's, she was hoping to find a way to get away. That's their belief. Is that I understand that. You know, and that she did tell them about taking them to someone, but never when pushed on the details, all right, well, who is that someone, where is that place, couldn't really provide it. But why would one think that a person who was having those perceptions three years ago, three and a half years ago, 
why the, the assumption that a restoration of competency is going to make the perceptions of three and a half years ago clear, I think is, is, as I said earlier, is putting the cart before the horse. But the police say when they were questioning Catherine Hoggle and when they let her lawyers speak to her that first day, they didn't get the sense that she was having a mental breakdown. And they spoke with her at length uh, here when she was arrested. And it was one of the last, and we don't do that. Um, you know, we, we did a, a number of things that we don't normally do in these cases to try and get those kids back, you know, in that. In like that, what? Uh, we had, uh, we had a, uh, a, a psychologist not talk to her, but had them come in and help us start, uh, try and understand what was going on with her, maybe develop some themes. Uh, we had one, two, three, four, at least, at least four different detectives talked to her. We put, brought her dad in, put him in the interview room, brought Troy in, put him in the interview room, all with the hope that, you know, the kids were still out there somewhere. And she would say something to them. She would say something and we would get somewhere or, or even, you know, a, a, we, because the time had elapsed from when she went missing and the circumstances from her going missing and then when we, when we catch up with her uh, and no sign of the kids, you know, we were looking to see, um, can we get her to tell us where their bodies are um, so that we re can recover the bodies and, and bring an end to this. Um, so, uh, uh, and then the last thing we did is, is uh, the attorneys had showed up uh, during the course of the day. Um, we had, uh, because she had, men uh, she had mentioned a name, and we were, I don't know who's, who's this name, so um, they, they showed up and the last thing we did, hoping that um, you know, something could be gleaned from even an attorney talking to her and maybe, you know, just saying, okay, let's come off of this. I mean, it was really a really last-ditch hope. But there was no harm because we weren't going any further with her. Uh, so we let them in, them in to talk with her and, and uh, uh, you know, turned off the camera. So who knows what they said. But, but uh, they spoke at length, and then, and then uh, uh, we spoke with them afterwards. So, and that's when the interaction with the state's attorney began. And, there's no, and, and again, there was no evidence of an ongoing crime. There was no evidence that the for the attorneys involved that the, uh, they weren't bound uh, they weren't bound to report anything to us because the kids weren't in any danger because unfortunately they were they were uh, well our belief is they were deceased did you believe that from early on I, I the circumstances of uh, how much press press there was on these two missing children um, the logic that would go with, okay, if they're with someone, they're going to bring them forward um, because they don't want any part of this mess. Um, the logic of, uh, you know, finding her several days later without kids, without anything, without any means at all, uh, as best we could tell, she was just kind of floating in Germantown. Um, all of those facts combined, we, we, we felt that uh, we felt that the kids were very strongly that the kids were dead, and now obviously three years later, right, would not have changed. I would right, imagine. and 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 again, you you know you look at the pattern of how she got rid of the kids, one um, at a time, right? Yeah, uh, that we know. 
one at a time, the children disappeared. Um, and and uh, um, plotted out. Uh, when you look at it, you know the, the the fake trip for pizza. Then, you know, however she she uh, uh, got uh, uh, Sarah out of the uh, house after um, they returned back to their residence uh, up in up in Germantown. So uh, th that right there again doesn't show that you know we're going to take the kids and drop them off with some some friend. Um, and then the lies she told to Troy, you know the. Uh, daycare with coupons and things of that nature. I mean, just none of it made sense. In the weeks and months and now years since Sarah and Jacob disappeared, police have conducted searches in Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Had other law enforcement agencies check out leads further away. Still nothing. Even the children's father, Troy Turner, says he knows he may be wishing on a star. Now it's a matter of, okay, let's see if we can jog somebody's memory. Um, and, and find out and find out where they're buried, find out if she put them in a dumpster. Maybe somebody did see something three and a half years ago. Um, if you look at our Facebook page, it's not the age progression photos that are out there at this point. It's their photos hoping that someone says, man, I do remember seeing those kids. Uh, they were driving down this road and then maybe that leads us to bringing them home because it doesn't matter what condition they're in. They deserve to come home. They deserve to be loved. They deserve to be respected. They don't deserve to be out there somewhere buried. They don't deserve to be incinerated with garbage. Um, they don't deserve any of that. They deserve to be loved, respected, and brought home to their family who, who needs them in one way or another. In part three of our podcast, the case against Katherine Hoggle. It's gone from misdemeanor charges of neglect to now two counts of felony murder. And yet prosecutors can't put her on trial. That part of the story, next time.